0: All right, today we finish our series on lifting lids, although we never really finish our series on lifting lids, do we? How are you going with your lids? Has your lid increased? You think so? You hope so? Well, Dale made great noises about me talking about David and Jonathan, um, which was really nice of her, but I'm not going to. Because we're talking about sort of comparing people, you know, which is never fair, but it's part of what we do, isn't it? Uh, you know, and we're talking about, you know, David and Jonathan both, both in some way, heirs to the throne. Um, yet David went through and Jonathan died because of the decisions they made. <clears throat> and as I thought through that, it actually ended up in a whole different place. to end up looking at Joshua. Now, Joshua is sort of my guy. All right? I'm a big Joshua fan really big Joshua fan you know if I could get in a, make my assignments when I was at uni you know doing doing study and so on for Bible college if if I could make my assignment Joshua based then I would because it was an area I was strong in but it was also an area I was passionate and interested in because Joshua is a guy for some reason I can really relate to and his leadership ability and his his willingness to step up and his character really shines through throughout his life. You know, you see a lot of guys and you, you see where they mess up. You, know, you look at David and, you know, he sort of really got into the whole adultery and murder type thing, you know. Interesting guy. He's a guy after God's own heart, you know. And then you look at Moses, you know, he got angry and frustrated and you know, he you would espouse his weaknesses and then go to the other extreme and get angry with everybody and so on. But what I like about Joshua, he was consistent. You know, he wasn't perfect. He had times where he messed it up. But he had a consistency about him that was built through through different things. And, and he's a guy that you, I really look at and I thought, gee, you know, he went from really being, being a nobody to coming to a point where, and, and maybe this is my cleric side, you know, it was him against three million people at one stage. You know, there's him and there's Caleb and sort of Moses standing to the side and three million people wanting to stone him. And the guy stood his ground. His conviction was so strong that he couldn't be swayed. And he was a, had a real character about him. And that's why I look at Joshua and I think, gee, if we could be a guy like him. You know, it's no coincidence that his name in the Old Testament, he translated in the New Testament, it translates into Jesus. So let's pray quickly and then um, we'll have a look at Joshua. Father, we uh, thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you that you're a good God, a God who loves us, a God who cares about us, a God who wants the best for us. That you love us just as we are but you also love us so much that you don't just leave us where we are, that you take us higher and further in you. That your plans for us are good. That you have a plan to prosper us and to bring us into success. But that you love us unconditionally, no matter what goes on. Lord, I pray inspire us and challenge us today to be more like Jesus, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you have your Bibles there, they can flick to Joshua. If you don't, that's cool because I'll read them to you anyway. But Joshua is earlier on. Now, let me tell you the story of Joshua. <clears throat> Joshua's the guy that, you know, we all hear Moses and, you know, he takes him out of the promised land and takes him out of Egypt, sorry. You know, and they, he parts the Red Sea and they cross the Red Sea and gets to the other side and, you know, the Egyptian army gets wiped out. And Moses' job was to take the people into the promised land. And he, and he brought them to the promised land and he chose 12 spies, one from each of the tribes of Israel. And they went into Jericho and they spied out the land and where they were going and the, the promised land that was theirs. And, and they came back and 10 of the spies said, you know, the land's full of, full of giants. You know, in, in their eyes, we were like grasshoppers is how we saw ourselves you know it's it's a great land it's flowing with milk and honey you know as one guy said in vegetables it sounds sticky but you know it was a, a prosperous land but they were afraid because the people in the land were really big so that was 10 of the spies two of the spies one was Joshua the other guy called Caleb and they said yeah that's all true it is a land of abundance And yeah, they are really big. But you know what? Our God's bigger. And we can do this. We can take the land. We can take them. It doesn't matter. And so the three, five million people, whatever it was, of the Israelites sort of looked on and they listened to the ten and said, Yeah, that sounds like, that sounds better than the two. You know, it's easier to just, let's just go back to Egypt and we can, you know. And, yeah, you know, they'd forgotten where they came from. They'd forgotten what God had done. And they said, let's just go back there and we'll, we'll go back there and, you know, we'll wander the desert and, you know. And God said, I can't take you in. You know, you didn't trust me enough that I would take you all the way. You forgot what I took you through to bring you to this point, And now I'm ready to take you in and you don't trust me. So that's it. Your punishment is you're going to spend 40 years wandering in the desert until this generation wiped out, and your children will inherit the promise. Then the people went, we don't like that idea. So let's go and attack the land. We can do this. So they sent an army in. The army got wiped out. So for the next 40 years, they wandered in the desert. Now think about this. Joshua and Caleb did nothing wrong. They came back and they did what God asked of them and they stood up for God and their reward for that was they got to wander the desert for 40 years. Doesn't life seem really unfair sometimes? Don't you hate it when you do the right thing and it all turns out wrong? And you know you did the right thing. <coughs> and we sit there and we go, God... Why do I have to go to the desert? Can't we sort of go and, you know, sit in the corner of the land and they can go and one the desert for 40 years? But not Joshua. Joshua's an interesting guy. Joshua was sort of the head of the army. He'd risen to that level. Now, you've got, you've got two interesting guys because what happens is eventually Moses dies off with the people and, and Joshua takes over leadership. And he, he ends up parting, you know, the, the waters of the, the river are part of the Jordan River. They go across and they go to attack the city of Jericho. And he convinces this, this five million people it is by this stage, he convinces them to walk around a city for seven days. And he convinces them, he says, we're going to take this city by playing music and yelling at it. Now, why would five million people follow a guy? It's like going to Sydney, getting the population of Sydney and saying, we're going to go and march around and around the walls of Melbourne and we're going to yell at Melbourne and the whole city is going to be flattened. Now, if I stood here and told you that, I said, we're going to do this for seven days, guys. We're walking down the road. We're going to march around the roundhouse. We're going to yell at it. We're going to play some music and the roundhouse is going to fall down. You'd look at me and go, okay, time to find a new church. Would you? You know, maybe after one day, you might feel like that. This is hours of walking, not just five-minute walk. He convinced three million people whose parents said they're too big, they're too scary. He convinced these people to walk around the city for seven days. Now I reckon after one day they would have come back a bit tired. Yeah, yeah, well, okay, that wasn't much fun. Day two, you know, by about day three, the doubt really starts to seep in, doesn't it? But they followed Joshua. And on the seventh day, they walked around the city seven times. What if their that stage the yell was sort of like, Aah! you know? But they yelled, they played music, and the walls fell down, they conquered the city. Why would they follow this guy? They followed him in the first place. Let me give you three just really quick points. They followed Joshua, first of all, because he was a servant. When we think of leadership, being a servant is usually the last thing on the list. We don't think, oh, leader, servant. But Joshua was a servant. Let's go, don't go back to Joshua, let's go back to Exodus. This is way back when Moses was leading. And Joshua is really... Not in the picture. You've got to remember that, you know, because I want to talk about Joshua and Aaron. Aaron was the guy, he was the high priest. So when Moses was going, you know, oh, I don't want to go to Pharaoh, I don't speak really well, God said, take Aaron with you. He'll be your right-hand man. He'll be the voice for you. And all through the, the time of coming out of Egypt, Aaron was the right-hand man. He was the two I see but he never, ever rises above where he is. And there's some really key areas here. Exodus 24, verse 13. It says, So Moses arose with his assistant. This is when Moses is going up the mountain to meet with God and get the Ten Commandments. All right? So Moses arose with his assistant, Joshua, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we come back. Indeed, Aaron and Hur are with you. If any man has difficulty, you go to them. So he's putting Aaron in charge. But Joshua is going up and he waits at the foot of the mountain while Moses goes up the mountain and meets with God. Moses, I mean, Joshua was Moses' servant. He saw his role as I am here to do whatever Moses needs me to do. He's the guy that God's appointed. So I want to get as close to God as I can so I'm going to serve the guy that God's appointed. And so he serves him. He does whatever he needs to do. He says, I am going to support this guy. And we don't, you know, when we read through this passage, we read about Moses going up and, and you know, meeting with God. And we sort of overlook the fact that Joshua was there for the whole time that Moses was up the mountain. And it wasn't just a couple of days. He's there by himself. Because he's going, I want a little bit of God. I want as much God as I can get. And if that means that I've got to be the guy here, serving the guy, then I will do what it takes. See, Joshua isn't out to be the great leader. He's out to be a guy that will serve God no matter what it takes. And you look all through his life, He was a man who was a servant regardless of the price. Now it's interesting that you look at Aaron. Aaron should have been that guy at the foot of the mountain. Because he's the high priest. And where God is, is where the high priest is supposed to be. That was his job. But Aaron never, ever rose up to it. He never stepped up. And Aaron sort of going, this is my job and that was it. And he did his job. He never, ever stepped higher than his job. He never went beyond what was expected of him or what he thought his job was. He never stepped actually into servanthood. He would just serve as his job said he would serve. And he sort of got the job because, you know, God said, oh, here's the guy, who put him in there. But he confined himself to what he saw as this is what it is and never went beyond that. You see, think, you know, Jesus talks about, he says in the New Testament, he says that, you know, because in the New Testament times, if you're a Roman soldier... You could grab any one of the local citizens if you were outside of Rome, and you could say to them, Here, carry my backpack. And that person had to carry that backpack for a mile. And what they do is that, you know, they carry the backpack of the soldier if they were traveling from one place to the next. And after a mile, they could put it down, and then the soldier would grab somebody else to carry it. So he didn't have to carry his stuff all the way. And they would just get people all the way along, you know, and you had no choice. You had to do it. Jesus says, If someone comes along and does that to you, don't carry it one mile; carry it two. In other words, don't do what is just expected of you, or what you think is this is what I'm here to do. But go beyond that. Go the extra mile. Make the extra effort. You know, I'm I'm really impressed with with you know the the young adults of this church this morning. You know, because we rocked up here, and you know, um, Linton got called into work this morning, and we we're on setup and you know, and the rest of our connect groups on holidays and things like this, and I'm sort of thinking, going, wow, I'm going to have fun setting up this morning and I'm glad that most of it was already done. But none of the, none of the, the gym was done. You know, I actually did nothing in there because the young I rocked up and the young adults were all parked up the street because they're going the extra mile. They went beyond what was expected of them. The heart of servant attitude towards God makes a difference. Because I think I might have been a little bit tired if I had to do the whole thing myself. All right, that's what it takes. It's not this is what I'm here. This is my. Job. I'm on. Ro- I'm not on roster, so I turn up. That's cool. It's no, no. I may not be on roster, or this may not be expected of me. But you know what? There's no reason why I can't do it anyway. And I can serve God by serving others. You know, we spiritualize serving God. And that's one thing the Pharisees got criticized for. You know that? They used to do things like, I don't have to give, I don't have to take care of my family because what I would give to my family, I'm going to give by serving God in the temple. And they go and sit in the temple rather than looking after their family. And God said, You're a bunch of hypocrites. He said, if you can't take care Of your family, and we're family, aren't we? If you can't put them first, don't worry about coming and doing anything for me. That's why it's you know the two greatest commands: love God, love people, and they tie in together. And Joshua had this characteristic; he wasn't out for the glory. He just was out to serve. The second one comes out of that in that Joshua was consistent. If you go to Exodus 33, and this is why he became Moses' assistant, because he was consistent. Exodus thirty-three eleven says, <clears throat> there used to be a tent, excuse me, there was a tent, a tabernacle that Moses would go into and he would meet with God. And he'd go in there and spend time in prayer and worship and and just hanging out with God. And he'd make sort of a daily ritual. And then he'd come out of the tent and he'd go about his day's business. Now Joshua would go with Moses to the tent. And he'd wait outside the tent while Moses went in and met with God. And he might be there an hour or a couple of hours. And then Moses would come out and Joshua would go in. Now see, again, I'm going, where's Aaron? Where's Aaron in all this? He's the guy that should be in there straight after Moses, seeking God. But he had a ceiling. He's got a lid in his life. He only did what he needed to do. Joshua with their waiting. And the moment the tent became free, it's like the toilet becomes free almost, you know. The tent becomes free. He ducks on in there and he's hanging out with God. He's consistently seeking God every time he has. And so when it comes time for Moses to select someone to be his assistant, when Moses needs somebody to be his right-hand man, it's an easy choice because he sees the guy who's willing to serve no matter what it takes. He sees the guy who is consistently seeking after God, and he knows that's what it takes. And so it's an easy decision for both him and God. Because Joshua has proved himself time and time again to be a servant of the people and to be a servant of God. He's been consistent and consistent. He's a man of character. And thirdly, he had a clear focus and a purpose. He was good at what he did because he knew why he did it. He did what he did to serve God. He wasn't trying to impress people by what he did. If he was going to impress people, then he would have, you know, done the whole, oh, well, let's not go in the promised land and I'll join the other 10 spies. You know, it's interesting when you compare Joshua and Aaron on that because, you know, when, when Moses goes up the mountain and Joshua's at the foot of the mountain, Aaron's back there with the people and he's supposed to be leading the people. And, you know, Moses's up there for about 40 days. That's a long time for Joshua to be sitting by himself. But he's consistent. He doesn't, I'll go back to the people, you know, Moses has gone walkabout. I'll go back and hang out with the people. No, no, he hangs as close as he can to God. He's there interceding for Moses before God. Back at the camp, Aaron's supposed to have the people. And the idea is that they're supposed to be interceding as well and seeking God and, and, you know, standing with Moses. But they're not. They're standing back there going, oh, we're bored now. And so Aaron, with his awesome leadership, says, what should we do? He asks them. And they go, well, you know, Moses has gone AWOL. No one knows where Joshua is, so... Let's get a new God. Because that's the first thing you do, right? You know. And Moses stands up and declares, and Aaron stands up and declares just to say, you know, does he stand up and say, no, 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 we have the one true God. He goes, cool, bring me your gold. Let's make something. Because he doesn't have the character. He hasn't spent time in the presence of God. He hasn't done the hard yards of serving God by serving Moses. In fact, He's one of the first to criticize Moses when things get tough. The one that you want is your right-hand guy. I can remember Phil Pringle talking about this and he says, you know, they were having a time where there was was all this stuff going on in the media and the media was really having a go because there was a missionary in one of the the C3 churches who, um, she was going to go to the Philippines. And What wasn't known in the media was that the church actually said to her, we don't think you should go. We think actually you're being unwise in going into the situation. You're stepping into it. Um, You know, we think there's a better way of doing this. You need to partner with an organisation. You need to go in with some wisdom rather than just charging off to the Philippines. She goes, no, 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 God's called me to the the people in jail in the Philippines. They go, we understand that, but let's go through a process before you go charging off. This lady said, no, 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 I'm going anyway. And so she went and there was a riot in the prison and she was killed. And what happened back here was the media grabbed hold of it and absolutely ripped into the church for letting her go and do that. Now, they were wise and didn't get into a big media debate, they just shut their mouths and went, look, we know we did the right thing. But at the time, you know, there was a lot of criticism, not just from the media, because, you know, everything you read in the media is true. But the church stood up and started to criticise Phil and and his leaders for letting this lady go off in this unwise situation. You know, oh, Pentecostal pastors, blah, 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 blah. You know, not knowing the full story. And in the middle of this, Phil was saying he was having a really down day, a really depressing day, and and, um, one of his key leaders said, oh look, can I take you out for a coffee? And he said, sure. And he said, they went out to this nice restaurant and the guy says, well, let me get you a coffee and they're sitting there. And uh, Phil says, you know, I'm really having a hard time with, with some of this stuff. And the guy said, well actually I want a few things I want to talk to you about as well. And spent the next hour just shooting. That's not what you want and someone's going to stand with you. In your darkest hour, you want someone who's going to lift up your hands. See, Aaron was a bit like that. When things got tough, he joined the crowd. Joshua was the opposite. When things got tough, he said, no, no, I stand for truth. Even if it's inconvenient. I serve God by doing what's difficult and going the extra mile. Even when it's cold, I get up and I do what I need to do. Even when it's not popular, I do what I need to do. Even when I've got other things to do, I go and spend in the present, time in the presence of God. Even when it's beneath me, I will serve God by serving others and doing what I have to do. He was a man of character. Aaron was the other side. When the going got tough, he joined in the criticism of the leadership. He did as little as he could. He did... As much as he could just to, oh, I've done enough now. He didn't have a servant heart. So you can serve without having a servant heart, but it'll come out eventually. You know, and it's the little things, you know. You can sort of see that, you know, Joshua, if they had a leadership meeting, Joshua would be there 10 minutes early, out would rock up 10 minutes late, probably because he slept in. You know, I mean, it's those little things that sort of, that really, really make you as a person and a lid in your life. You know, I don't know about you. I mean, I know at work, you know, I, I get meetings scheduled for me. You know, we need you at this meeting. And I often look and wonder why. I've worked out in the time I'm there. I think I've halved the amount of meetings I go to, which is really nice. Actually get some work done. But, you know, that the meetings to go to and I often look down the meeting list and you sort of can pick if the meeting was at 10 o'clock who's going to be there at 5 to 10 and who's going to be there at 20 past 10 or who's just not going to turn up and you know I've been in some workplaces where I've had meetings scheduled with people and you look at it and you go you know what I could put another meeting in that slot because you know they're not going to be there And then maybe they've set up the appointment, but you know that they're not going to turn up. I can remember one guy, I had two meetings scheduled with him a week apart. And the guy wasn't even in the building. In fact, I don't think I ever went to a meeting where he was there. That would be pretty accurate, actually. And you sort of look and you think, how do you give someone respect if they don't give respect? If they're not consistent, if they're not serving, because what that says to me is that person's saying, "You are not worth my time." Oh yeah, okay, well, fortunately you have a good enough self-esteem that it doesn't bug me, but that's what you're saying. Or if they turn up late, my time is more important than your time. Or if they don't turn up at all, yeah. See, it's, it's these things that we think, yeah, but they don't really matter. But they do really matter. Because they show your heart. Now, I understand there are times when things happen and so we're late. You know, I mean, I was five minutes late getting in the church this morning. That's why everyone was lined up at the gate. I thought we did pretty well, really. Five of us, No wife. Obviously, you know who gets us here on time. No, you discover the world of the things that you do suddenly take longer when you've only got one of you to do them. Yeah, girls are good, helped out, but yeah. But you know, and but that that bugs me that I'm late because it says to the people that were here at eight o'clock, you can wait for me, and I don't want to send that message. I want to send the message that says, I'm here to serve you. Because I know if I can model it, then maybe somebody will catch it and they'll learn how to serve and break through a lid. They'll learn the value of spending time in God's presence and they'll break through a lid. They'll learn the value of character and consistency and going the extra mile. Because if I look at Joshua that's him that's what made him really one of the greatest leaders in history you know people look at moses and say moses was one of the, you know he's probably the best leader in the bible moses didn't finish the job moses couldn't finish the job joshua finished the job he took him into the promised land he got him where they need to be. But I love his heart. At the end of the end of his life, he sits there in the crowd, and they're all gathered around him. And, and he knows the people. And he says to them, you know what? I know you guys. Just go and find the gods of the people that were here before and go and worship them. Go on. Because you know you're going to do that. As for me in my house, we're going to worship God. We're going to serve God all our life. But I know your hearts. Just go and do it now. And the people went, no, 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 we want to serve God. But why do they want to serve God? Because the guy in front of them is who they want to be like. They see Joshua and they go, we want to be like you. Because you have this character that we all desire. You have this relationship with God that we all desire. And they understand the price he's paid to get that. Are you somebody that people want to be like? If somebody says, I want to be like you, what would that look like? Would they be a person of character? Would they have a servant heart? Would they be a consistent person? Or are these things a lid in your life that you need to face up with and go, you know what, I need to overcome this. Because I know we have the glamorous stuff and, you know, I was flicking through the TV the other night and, you know, they had all the the music stations on and, you know, it's like, man, I don't know how people listen to some of this, but that's all right. Maybe it's my age. But I'm looking at this one guy and it, I think it was about an 80s hit. I hope it was an 80s hit because if someone's dressing like that again, it's really worry. <laughs> But he's there singing and I'm looking at it going, why would anyone want to be like you? <laughs> Seriously, I'm looking at this guy and, you know, the jacket on with nothing else underneath than the open jacket, you know, chest hanging out, you know, and this, and, but you looked at his face and it was like this face of rage and anger. I thought, why would anyone want to be like you? And if they were like you, what sort of person are they? That they want to be like you. If people was someone like you, if they wanted to be like you, what sort of person would they be? Is there someone you would want to hang out with? Is there someone you would want to give the time of day? Would they be a servant hearted person? Would they be someone seeking God? Or would they be someone making good excuses? Someone with a reason why they can't. That's Joshua. One of the greatest leaders in history. And he got there because of his character and his consistency. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for your grace. That Lord, even when we do fall short of of our expectations when we do miss the mark, you still love us. You still give us your grace. Lord, if we were never changing and the same as we are now for the rest of our lives, you would still love us. You would still give us your grace. And we thank you for that. But Father, I pray by your Holy Spirit that you'll help us to be all that you made us to be. That we will step into your plan and purpose for our lives. That you'll show us where our lids are. That we can break through them. That we may reflect your glory. Lord, I pray your blessing on every person here. The refreshing by your Holy Spirit. That you be glorified, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.